I want to preach a message entitled, The Most Difficult Climb Ever. The Most Difficult Climb Ever. My, my wife and I, there, there's a, uh, one of our favorite shows to watch on TV. Yes, I do watch TV. Uh, just so you know, I, I, I grew up in a house that didn't have one. And so I, I don't know if I'm making up for it now in my older age. I, I really don't know. I don't. I try not to watch too much, but there is a, a show uh, that we like to watch, and it took somewhat of a hiatus. It was gone for about a year and a half, uh, and it's called Climbing Everest on the Discovery Channel. Uh, and this particular show is is a, basically documenting. Uh, the efforts of individuals who have paid between fifty and $60,000 to one of two companies, and I'm sure there are more that do it, at a particular time of the year, it is the most opportune time to climb Mount Everest, the tallest mountain in the world. Uh, in fact, the base camp of Everest is higher than any any mountain, any mountain peak in the United States, and that's just the base camp. So you can imagine uh, with the, the climate and then not only that, the lack of oxygen, I would be no good. I, I, got, I got altitude sickness one time flying into Mexico City, which is higher in, in elevation uh, than a lot of cities in the world. Just walking through the airport, I thought I was going to die. And these guys are, their base camp is, is approximately 17,000 feet above sea level. It's one of our most, our, our favorite shows. And all of a sudden it came back just this past, or this month, and, and they hit us with about five shows in, in one week, and then it's gone. And we were so disappointed because, you know, we kind of look forward to it each week. So we, it hit us uh, that week, and so we watched these shows, Climbing Everest, of these, these men and women who make it their goal. Some reach it, some don't. But you find that as they are climbing, they, they come to different levels of that mountain. And as they're climbing those different levels, at certain points they can climb, but you see how they're plodding along because of the lack of oxygen that they, they have. And the higher you go, the higher you, you climb. It's about 29,000 feet plus in the air, the, the peak of Mount Everest. And the higher they go, the more difficult it is just to breathe. And at a certain point, there are those who every year, it seems almost, they, they say, oh, well, we're going to go to the top without bottled oxygen. Part of the fee that they pay is to pay for that. They say, we're going to go to the top without bottled oxygen. And as soon as they hit what's called Camp 4, which is right above what they call, right below what they call the death zone. It is where your body literally, you go above that zone, your body literally starts to die. It starts to shut down because of the lack of oxygen. Each one gets up to camp four, and by that point, the air is so thin. This one guy who said, I'm going to do it, I'm going to go. He was a guy who on a previous year had gone up one side of Everest and gone down the other, which was an amazing feat. But he said, I'm going to go up there with no bottled oxygen. And he gets up there, and he realizes, I can try it, but I might die up on top. It's not worth it to die. And so he puts the oxygen in and he gets up. He was the first one to go up on this particular season. But you watch how they're plodding along. And the effort is so slow. It's so difficult. 
It's so hard even just to put one step in front of the other. I want to share with you, though, that might be a difficult climb. Something that we look at and we say, man, that's, that's crazy. I wouldn't do it. I'm afraid of heights. They come up one side of the ledge and, and literally they're on a ledge just about a few inches. And, and the drop from that ledge is over a mile down. They have these little ropes that are supposed to be, you know, latched into the ice on the mountain. It just does not seem to me like an inviting thing to do. But many of them get up there and they, they triumph as they reach the summit. But I want to talk to you today about the most difficult climb ever. It's more difficult than Everest. It's more difficult than anything that you will ever face. More difficult than trying to climb the highest peak in the world or at any time in your life, the, the climbs that you might try to make not only physically but also spiritually and emotionally and some of the things that you try to ascend to and try to go up to. And, and it is a mountain that God told Abraham to go to. But first, we're going to start in Genesis 21, reading 1 through 6. The Bible says, Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah, As he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age. At the very time, at at the very time God had promised him. Abraham gave the name Isaac to the son Sarah bore him. When his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him as God commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Sarah said, God has brought me laughter and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. Remember when it was announced that Sarah would give birth, both of them were past childbearing age. She had been barren her whole life, not been able to have any children and all of a sudden, these, these strangers show up and say, by this time next year, Sarah is going to have a son. And she overhears it. And remember that the Bible says that Sarah laughed. Now she names him Isaac. Isaac literally means he laughs. She says, I'm naming him Isaac because God has brought laughter to me that here in my old age, now I am a mother and I have borne my own son and brought my own son into the world. This is certainly a time of joy, a time of rejoicing. The Bible lets us know also that God had promised to Abraham that Isaac would be the one through whom his seed would multiply. That then his seed would grow in different points in in Abraham's life. God took him outside one night and said, do you see the stars in the sky? I'm going to multiply your seed like the stars of the sky. He says, the dust of the earth. If somebody could count the dust of the earth, that is how great your seed will be. And now here comes this little baby into their lives. This little baby boy named Isaac and the laughter starts. And there's joy. And there's, there, is, there is this feeling of, oh yes, God means what he says. Oh yes, I can trust 
that what God has promised will be fulfilled because, in fact, God has fulfilled His promise. He promised a son. We didn't see it for a long time. And yet now God has delivered on His promise. Thank God He did. But now, go with me to Genesis 22. Genesis 22. And we're going to read all the way down through to verse 19. Genesis 22, 1 through 19. Sometime later, here it is, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, Isaac. Remember, his name means laughs or laughter. Whom you love and go to the region of Moriah. Moriah was a mountain. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. Most scholars believe, most believe that this Mount Moriah actually became the temple mount in Jerusalem later on. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and saddled his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. And he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went together on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied, the fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the place the Lord will provide. And to this day, it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. 
The angel of the Lord said, called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of, of their enemies and through your offspring all nations on the earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Then Abraham returned to his servants and they set off together for Beersheba and Abraham stayed in Beersheba. The most difficult climb ever, in my estimation, is the part where Abraham says to his servants, fellas, you stay here while my son and I go and worship. And now here he is plodding along with his son, his only son, whom God said through this son, the nations of the earth will be blessed. Through this son, your seed will multiply and you will become a great nation. This one and only son whose name means laughter, the rejoicing that came into the home when Isaac arrived and showed up, the happiness that Sarah and Abraham knew in that moment when this little baby boy arrived. Now he is walking up a hill under the command of God, the same God who promised the son has now said go and kill the son amazing you can imagine that maybe just maybe Abraham's climb was just a little slow not because of the altitude because in his heart and in his mind as a human being, as a father, as someone, the Bible says, take your son, your only son, whom you love. Someone who loved his son so very dearly is now plodding along knowing just exactly what has to be done. His son Isaac doesn't know. And you know, a lot of times we look at the other side of a, a Bible story and we say, "We see, it worked out great. We can trust God. But I'm here to tell you today that the time to trust God is when you are on that climb and you don't know the end of the story. You see, the story in our lives has been written, but we don't know the end of the story. We don't know what it's going to be. We don't know how it's going to turn out. And we are climbing and there are times in our lives where God shows up and he says, I'm going to test you. And most of us shrink back and say, no, God, that's not fair. How dare you test me? You know I love you. I go to church. I pay my tithes. Lord, I give of my time, my effort. I am, I am a man or a woman of God. I read my Bible. I pray. Lord, you can't do this. This is, you know, this is, what do we call it now? The tens? Lord, this is 2010. You, I, we can't do that. This isn't, this isn't how Christianity is supposed to be in America. We're supposed to all be wealthy. We're supposed to have it all together. We're supposed to look great, be great. And we can't go through times of conflict. No, no, no. The Bible says right from the get-go. In chapter 22, verse 1, sometime later, God tested Abraham. Remember, Romans chapter 4 tells us Abraham was 
the father of us all in the faith. The father of us all in the faith. And God tested this man. So who do we think? we? You know, can we even say of ourselves, you know, Lord, you tested Abraham, but, you know, I, I, I you know, I've heard arrogant people say, you know, if I were, if I had been in the Bible or been in, you know, times of scripture, I wouldn't have reacted the way Paul reacted or I wouldn't have reacted the way Abraham. I, I don't think we can say that. I don't think we can say that. In fact, I got to say that Abraham in all of this situation seemed to handle it pretty well. In fact, we see his faith played out through this most difficult climb ever. And it started the morning, the next morning that he woke up. The Bible says that he woke up the next morning and the Bible says this. He got up, saddled his donkey, and he took with him two of his servants. He obeyed. You see, it was one thing for Abraham to leave his homeland. When God spoke and said, get out of your homeland and go to the place where I'm going to show you. Get out of that familiar surroundings. I'm going to show you a place. That's one thing. But it's quite another thing to operate on the directive that God just gave him. Especially in the light of the fact that God said, through this son, you're going to become a great nation. You see, the two didn't quite, didn't quite go together. It's like on Sesame Street. One of these things is not like the other. You know, they just, it's not balanced. It's not, it's not the way things ought to be. And there are times in life where when God wants to really test us, he gives us something that doesn't look like what something that he would do. Now, God knew that Isaac was not going to die. God knew exactly what he was going to do. But folks, Abraham didn't. Remember that Abraham didn't know he didn't, you know, we reached verse 19. And actually, as I was rereading down in verses 18 and 19, and you get to the end of that, right at the end of that, it says, then, then Abraham returned to his servants and they set off together for Beersheba and Abraham stayed in Beersheba. And you know what? Literally, I went to myself. I, I, I'm a little crazy this way. I went to myself. <sighs> Phew. I wonder if at that moment they breathed a collective sigh of relief. At least Abraham and Isaac. I mean, this kid all of a sudden, he looks up. We don't know how old Isaac was. The Bible calls him a boy. We don't don't know how old he was. All of a sudden, he looks up. He sees his dad with a knife. Dad's, you know, binding my hands. Why is dad tying me up and putting me on the altar? And now he's got a knife. If there was anyone who said, phew, it would be Isaac. But I got to tell you that when we, you know, you come to that, Isaac doesn't know the end of the story. Folks, you don't know the end of the story. You might sit here today and you might be saying to yourself, you know what, I'm in the middle of a test and I can't stand it. It hurts. I don't like it. Listen, I'm not here to say that Abraham loved this test. Bible doesn't ever indicate that Abraham enjoyed it. But the Bible says Abraham obeyed. In the middle of it all, Abraham obeyed. God and brothers and sisters in the midst of your test, in the midst of your pain, you have got to obey God when you are plodding up that hill and you're not sure if you can take one more step. You don't seem to be able to have the strength to do it. You need to remember this, that Abraham, though he didn't know the end, he still obeyed. We've got to obey God. 
No matter what God is asking us to do. Now, God is not going to give us a directive like this. This is, this is extreme. It is extraordinary. And in fact, it is something that God simply did to test this man's faith. To test whether or not he would put God first above his son. And it's an amazing thing how many people have so many things going on in life. And you know what? Those things are number one. Those things that we do, that we think about, that we worry about, those come before God. And then God seems to somehow get the end of it all. Whatever's left over, Lord, here's the leftovers of my spiritual life, my physical life, my emotional life. Here it is, Lord. Here, you just get just a little bit. You get the crumbs of my life. Listen, Abraham didn't give God the crumbs of his life. He gave him the very best. He said, God, I'm going to put you first. You are going to be number one in my life. And I am here to tell you that when you put God first, the end of the story will turn out the way it turned out for Abraham. God will provide for you. You've got to put him number one. God will provide. He's plodding up that hill. You can imagine at that moment, all of a sudden, now here he is. He's alone with his son. Abraham knows what's coming, at least to the point of the sacrifice. He doesn't know how God's going to intervene. He doesn't know what God has in store, what God has planned. All he knows is what God told him to do, and he is headed up the hill to do it. And he's just kind of slowly plodding along with his son. And all of a sudden, Isaac, he's sharp. Kids don't miss much. Isaac looks out. I'm certain he's seen sacrifices before he knows what's supposed to be there. He says, hey, Dad, you know what? Something's not right here. I see the fire. You're holding it. Maybe it was a torch, some means of lighting the, the, the sacrifice. He says, I see that. I said, Lord, uh, you know, Dad, I'm carrying the wood. I got that. But we're missing the most important thing of the sacrifice. Where's the lamb? Where is it? And don't you love Abraham's statement? I love this. Verse, verse 8. The Bible says this. Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. Now, some commentators look at that and they almost suggest in that moment that the way Abraham says this, it's almost as if he is telling him, my son, you are going to be the sacrifice. But he doesn't come right out and say it. We, we, in the NIV, at least, there's a little comma at the end right before my son, as if he is just simply addressing his son. But nonetheless, look at what he first says. You need to understand this. Because if God has led you into a test, you have been faithful to God, you have obeyed God, and he has brought at certain points in your life, he has brought laughter to your soul. He has brought a joy in your spirit, but now you will find yourself in the midst of a test. You need to see what he says right from the beginning of this in verse 8. It says, Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb. God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering. You know what he was saying in this? He was saying essentially this. 
God owns this problem. Not me. So often we've got to try to figure out. We, the Lord leads us into a time of testing in our lives. And, and, and it's clear that it is something that is, is difficult to handle. And we don't know what we're going to do. And I'm not talking about problems that we create for ourselves. That's a whole other, whole other thing. God is merciful in, in this. But there are times where things happen right out of the blue. And, you know, one of the most dangerous theologies is, is that somehow it's God judging us. No, God is not judging you. God is testing you. God wants to see what you're made of. God wants to see you respond to him in obedience. And in essence, what he is saying is, is he is saying this. God is going to provide something in this situation. God is going to do something in the midst of this difficult moment of my life and your life. God owns this trouble. Don't you see this, brothers and sisters? If God has led you into it, God holds the responsibility and he will see you through. If God owns it, God's going to take care of it. So often we look at our problems, we think we've got to try to find a solution. That's our natural man. That's the flesh trying to get involved. That's saying, God, you have no idea what you're doing here. Let me take over. No, God knows exactly what he's doing. He knows what's going on. And the Bible says here, God himself. This was a great statement of faith on Abraham's part. Now, again, Abraham didn't know the end of the story like we do. Abraham had no clue at that moment that God, in fact, was going to do exactly what he just said. But in faith, this man began to say, listen, God, in the midst of this testing, he owns the problem. God told me to do this. I didn't get myself into this. It's not some crazy oath that I took that this is what I would do. Remember, there's a story in the book of Judges about a man by the name of Jephthah who said, you know, if God does a, a particular thing, then the first thing that appears at my door, I'll sacrifice to the Lord. And it just so happened to be his daughter. That was a crazy thing. And God didn't remove him from that oath. He didn't get out of it. Seems to be the only time in the scripture where there was a human sacrifice on the part of somebody who was a man of God. He made a foolish, foolish oath. But this man didn't get himself into it. Abraham did not get himself into this situation. And because he didn't, he could say with confidence, God is going to show up. God's going to do something here. I don't know what he's going to do. But God, you know what, son? God's going to provide a lamb. Let's move on down in these verses. Verse 9. When they reached the place God had told them about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. Now, we don't really know at what point the knife was in his hand or at what stage of this situation. But we know he had it in his hand. I don't know if he had lifted it. I don't know if he was on his way down. We don't really know. But somewhere in there, we see the intention of his heart. The intention of his heart was, I am still going to obey God. 
Now, the book of Romans records for us here in the New Testament tells us this. It lets us know that he received Isaac back as if he was from the dead. The book of Hebrews chapter 11. He, was, he reckoned that God was able to raise his son from the dead. Imagine the kind of faith where God says, I want you to go up the hill, kill your only son. And it's the son that I've been promising through the, the you're going to be a great nation. The Bible reveals what was in his heart, that God was able. In all of that, brothers and sisters, no matter what it is that God is bringing you through, you need to know this, God is still able. God is able to take that situation that you're in today and he is able to turn it around so that he gets the glory. You might think it's just some sort of chance, some sort of thing has no connection with the plan of God in your life. I want you to know that it's all connected because we know that all things work together for the good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Don't sit there and say that somehow God has nothing to do with it. God wants to know what you're made of. Will you obey him or will you try to preserve yourself and handle the thing on your own? This man took the knife in his hand. We don't know where it was, but it might have been up here, ready to plunge into his only son's heart. We have no idea. But in that moment, God showed up. In that moment, God provided an alternate solution. You see, because God owns the situation, because God owns the problem, God knows exactly how to come and to minister to your situation. He knows exactly what solution is in front of you. He knows exactly what he is going to do. Now, Abraham's marching up that hill. He's coming up the hill with his son. He's preparing all the things. He is getting ready. He's getting ready to obey God and to do exactly what God wanted him to do. And God, in that moment, he shows up just at that moment. The Bible says in verse 10, Then he reached out his hand, took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham! Stop. Stop. I'm going to do something different. I see that you love God. I see that you obey God. I see that your heart is right, that you want God, that you want to to do. You've put God above everything else in your life. Now, take a look over here. The Bible says, do not lay a hand on the boy. Verse 12, he said, do not do anything. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Verse 13, Abraham looked up and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. Now look, verse 14, this is ever so important for us to understand. In the midst of our trouble. In the midst of that test that God has allowed you to get into, God always provides a way out. And this is, in fact, why this is where we see Abraham names this place. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. The King James calls it Jehovah Jireh, one of the names of God. We understand that, that it means the Lord will provide. 
But one of, in, interestingly, one of the, the definitions of that word gyra literally means the God who sees or he sees the situation. And then he goes on and he says, the Lord will provide. And to this day, it is said on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. I love the future tense. I love that it will be. Not that it was provided. We could look back at that and say if it was named, it was provided. That it was only for then. That only God provided that one time, but he's not going to provide now. No, he named it the Lord will provide. If God brought you in, folks, he knows exactly how to provide for you to get you out. He knows exactly how to provide in your situation to be able to bring you through on the other side so that you can proclaim the Lord will provide in my life. The Lord will provide for my situation. Why? Because the whole time God is watching this scene. God didn't have to, you know, he didn't turn his head and miss anything. Be a shame if that was the way God was, but God sees everything. And right at the moment where Abraham takes that knife in his hand, there's a voice from heaven who says, Abraham, Abraham, stop, look. And there God provides his solution. Brothers and sisters, you need to know that God will provide your solution. He will provide for you in the midst of your trouble. I know that a lot of times we use that name of God as God, my provider. He's going to provide for my needs. And I know that he's going to provide for our financial needs and all of those things. And we often apply it only to that. I'm here to tell you that this had nothing to do with finances. It had everything to do with in the middle of your trouble. When you don't know what God is going to do, God shows up and he says, I'm going to provide an answer for you. I will provide a way out so that you can be able to get through this thing on the other side and you can breathe that big sigh of relief. Phew. But instead, no, no, it's this. It's so that the next time around, you can know that God will provide because there will be another test, by the way. There will be another test. There will be another situation where you're going to have to trust God. There's going to be another problem come along the way. And what are you going to do? So oftentimes God brings us through circumstances and then all of a sudden something else shows up. And that situation seems to be so disconnected from the plan of God for our lives. We can't figure it out. We somehow think that we've done something wrong. or We somehow think that maybe, you know, God is just mad at us or somehow that maybe God is just done with us and he's not going to bless us anymore. And all of a sudden we start to go down the same path. Listen, if he provided for you once, you need to know that the place is called the Lord will provide. It seems as though that is something that progressively you can claim for your life all the way through and say, Lord, I know you provided once, you will provide again in my situation, in my difficulty. It might be finances this morning. It might be a relationship that you have or you wished you had or you don't have or that has gone amiss and is, is a mess or it might be a problem that you have on the job or it might be some other thing in your life, a physical problem you need to know listen God will provide for you he is Jehovah Jireh the Lord your provider he will show up he absolutely will take care of you 
He will provide a solution for you when you don't know what the answer is. Abraham had no idea that that ram was in the thicket. It was already there. Imagine that. He's preparing the altar. He's preparing the wood. He's binding his son Isaac, taking the knife in his hand. And God gets his attention. He says, look, Abraham, the Bible says, looked up and he saw how God provided the lamb. That earlier, he said he would. He was trusting God. He was walking in faith. He was believing. Listen, some people say, well, you know, the faith walk, you know, you got you to gotta see a little bit first. No, you don't have to see anything. In fact, it, the whole point of faith is you don't see anything, but you see it by faith. It's not something that you lay hold of first by what you see. You know, Jesus taught that lesson to Thomas. Thomas said, unless I, you know, unless I touch the, 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 the scars in his hands and his side, I'm not going to believe. And, you know, Jesus was merciful to Thomas. He showed up. He said, go ahead, Thomas. Take a look. See, touch my hands. Touch my side. See the scar, the wound that I have from when I, I, I was nailed to the cross. Go ahead. It's me, Thomas. But remember this, Thomas and all the other disciples. You might have, you've, you've blessed are you here this morning. But, but you know, for, for you, you need to understand, blessed are those who believe and have not seen. And brothers and sisters, Abraham didn't see the end of it. You don't see the end of your trouble, but you've got to believe God. You've got to trust in God. God brought you in. God will surely bring you out. God is the one who takes care of you in the midst of your trouble. Listen, he hasn't forgotten where you live. He hasn't forgotten your address. He knows the pain. He knows the tears you cry at night. He knows the struggles that you have in your heart. He knows the pain and the frustration that you have dealt with year after year after year. I'm here to tell you today, the Lord will provide. Start climbing the mountain. Obey God. It might be the slowest climb you have ever made, but I'm here to tell you he will provide for you. Let's stand to our feet right now and let's give God praise. Let's just thank him right now. Let's believe God. Whatever you're faced with, whatever you're going through right now in faith, let's cry out to the Lord today. Say, God, we're going to believe you. We're going to trust in you to do the impossible. Hallelujah. Come on and magnify the name of the Lord.